This next song is just a prayer asking the Lord to come and speak to us through the teaching of the word. And it's just so important as I was preparing for the service last night. Um, how important it is for us to prepare our hearts to receive the word and then to be doers of it. So as we sing this song, I just ask that you would prepare your hearts before the Lord to receive God's truth this morning. Let's start by going to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we come to you in awe of who you are, in awe of what we have just sang. Oh, Father, we are so weak and feeble and struggle so often, often very flaky. Give us eyes to see. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to be strong. Be led by the power of your spirit in a way that we are lights to a generation that struggles, that's wicked, Father, that is vile. And we recognize that you use us as conduits to building relationship to you. Help us to be that. Help us at the family church to truly be committed to you, which means we're truly committed to one another. Thank you for the Lees and the Lundquist, Father. We ask that you bless them as we celebrate with them today. We praise and honor you through Christ's name. Amen. The Jews thought they were godly. They were God's chosen people. They were set apart. They were part of what we would call the in crowd. The Jews were special, they thought. They thought they were holy. They were very religious in every sense. They were the seed of Abraham. They were descendants of David. And they would have expected Christ to start his sermon as John MacArthur espouses by saying something like this. 
I am here to commend you for your religiosity, for your wonderful spirituality. God has looked down from heaven and he is very well pleased with you. That's what they would have expected. They would have expected a pat on the back fest from Jesus Christ as he spoke to them. That's what the Jews would have expected from Christ. But then Christ started to proceed and actually speak. His most famous sermon on the mount that we have recorded in Matthew. And Christ starts this way. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine the bewilderment of the Jews. What in the world is this Jesus talking about? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This Jesus doesn't make sense. Who is he? But it gets better because the next beatitude says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are those who wail. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who grieve. Happy are those who are saddened by their sinfulness towards God. The Jews didn't consider themselves sinners. They looked at the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as the sinners, the unclean people, the unclean groups. To mourn over sin means that Christ was calling them sinners. We can imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders of the day, thinking, this guy isn't the Messiah. He's a fraud. Do you hear what he's saying? Happy are, the are those who mourn? What is he talking about? This man must be a false teacher. And let me say, Christ's words were countercultural in his day. And I will say today, they are just as countercultural if we actually preach the gospel. A.W. Tozer once said that a fairly accurate picture of the human race could be drawn by turning the Beatitudes inside out. The Beatitudes are upside down from our natural ways of thinking. They are confusing because left seems right, up seems down, happy seems sad. And we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount this morning where Christ starts with the Beatitudes. And I want us to think of the Beatitudes as someone climbing a ladder. As we grow in the Holy Spirit, He takes us up one step on the next. The ladder started with the first Beatitude, which is found in Matthew 5.3. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's open up to Matthew 5.3. And we're going to do a little bit of review before we go to the third Beatitude this morning. So the first step is the first beatitude. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or happy are the spiritual bankrupt. The first step of faith is recognizing you and me are spiritually helpless within ourselves. We are lost without Christ. We are nothing without Christ, the Bible says. And in desperation, we turn to him. We turn to Christ recognizing we have no hope. And then the Holy Spirit brings us to the second beatitude, which is Matthew 5, 4, which says, Blessed are those 
who mourn or happy are those who grieve. This would be the second step of the ladder. The question is, what are we mourning over? What are we mourning over? Well, as we turn to Christ and look to God, His love, His holiness begins to reveal our sinfulness. God's purity reveals our impurity. God's goodness reveals our vileness. We mourn, we cry, we grieve over who we have been and who we are in the present. Or that's what we at least should be doing. I don't really know how much of us are really doing that, but that's what we're called to do. And this brings about what the Bible calls repentance, which we talked about two weeks ago. Which leads to real salvation, true transformation, where we become true children of God. And this morning, we're in Matthew 5, 5. The third beatitude. We're actually going to unleash the third beatitude, which means we're going to be stepping up to the third step on the ladder this morning. And Jesus says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, or happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What comes to mind when you think about meekness? What comes to mind when you think about meekness? Do you love when your spouse says, Hun, you're the meekest person I know. And most of us probably say, Wow, hun, what a great compliment. That's my goal, to be meek. That's what I want to be. Or for those of us who have children, is our goal, our aim, our hope for our children to grow, to be meek and gentle at heart? Well, I must say, being meek is not very popular in our self driven, self-assertive, self-obsessive, self-promoting society that we live in. And tell you the truth, in our culture, meekness is out of date. Meekness is out of style. Meekness has lost its meaning within even amongst the American Christian culture. So what picture comes to mind when you think about a meek person? Does meekness seem like weakness? To you? Do you get a picture of a spineless or scared sort of fellow? Well, let me give you four misconceptions of meekness this morning. We're going to start out with four misconceptions of meekness. The first misconception says meekness is a personality type or a personality trait. Some people act as if meekness is a genetic disposition that we are born with. It is equated to a quiet or shy temperament or shy personality. An introvert is more meek than the extrovert. That's the first misconception. The second misconception is that meekness is a people pleaser. Meekness is a people pleaser. This person tries to make others happy all the time. They are worried about what others think of them. This person, they assume, is meek because they seem to care about other people. But they are desperate for people's approval. Needing people's approval and caring about them are two different things altogether. So that's the second misconception. The third misconception about meekness is that meekness is a non-confrontational person. 
This person lets everyone take advantage of them. They hate confrontation and would rather be a doormat than face having to deal with a problem or issue in their life. They shut down when confrontation arises because they are so paralyzed with fear. That's the third misconception. The final misconception, number four, meekness is a passionless person. Meekness is a passionless person. This person has no drive. They have no passion, no desire. They tend to be emotionless and methodical in the way they live their life. When they speak, they they know one tone, and that is monotone. So those are the four misconceptions of meekness. So what does it truly mean to be meek then? One or two words or even a sentence or two will not suffice to explain what this awesome subject truly means. The Greek word for meek can also be translated as gentle or mild. But this still does not give us a clear picture of what it truly means to be meek. So let's look at meekness from various snapshots. Almost like a person taking pictures. We must take a shot from one angle and then move to the next. And then place all the pictures side by side to truly grasp what Christ meant when he said blessed are the meek. So let's go to snapshot number one. Snapshot number one says a meek person lives a life of submission. Let me read that again. A meek person lives a life of submission. Let me ask you a question. Did Christ follow his own will or did he relinquish his will to the Father in all situations? Well, to answer this question, let's go to John 6, 38. Turn with me to John 6, 38. We're going to look at a few different scriptures on Christ here. And this is Christ speaking. And he says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will, and I... And the hymn that's talking about is the Father who sent me. Turn back a page to John 5, 19. John 5, 19. And this is Jesus speaking again. And he says, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus did nothing unless he was directed, led, and guided by the Father. Christ was surrendered, submitted, and depended on the Father for everything he did. Does that sound extreme to us this morning? I mean, Christ had no will of his own, the scriptures say. He was entirely submitted to the Father. To the point that Christ wouldn't even utter a word unless it was from the Father. Turn with me to John 12, 49 to answer that. John 12, 49. I like hearing all these pages turning. That's great. I like it. 
I know some of you have phones and iPads, so you can't really hear the pages. It would be great if we had like a little sound. But, okay. Okay, and Jesus says this. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So if Christ, who was perfect, dependent on the Father entirely, how much more do we need to depend and submit to Christ this morning? How submitted are you this morning to Christ? How submitted am I this morning to Christ? Do we submit ourselves to Christ daily? Do we submit our marriages to Christ daily? Do we submit our families to Christ daily? What about the decisions that we make? Do we submit the big decisions to Christ and the small decisions as well? Do we wrestle with Christ in prayer to figure out what he wants us to do? Do we look into his word and we figure out if what we're doing is truly obedient and lined up to the word of God? Do we do that? Are we truly submitted to Christ this morning? This takes us to snapshot number two. Snapshot number two says, a meek person promotes God's glory instead of their own. A meek person promotes God's glory instead of their own. Meekness does not promote self. A meek person is first, as we've talked about, poor in spirit. They mourn over their sinfulness. They see themselves clearly. They have a right view of themselves. They know that they tend to struggle with sin daily. Things like selfishness and pride, they recognize it's something that they deal with. And they're humble. They walk in repentance, dealing with their self-focused struggle that they have. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great theologian, the great preacher, the great just communicator, said this. The man who is meek is not even sensitive about himself. He's not always watching himself and his own interest. He's not always defensive. Oh, how we spend our whole life watching ourselves. But when a man is meek, he's finished with all that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there's nothing worth defending. So we are not on the defensive. All that is gone. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether and you come to see you have no rights. A meek person does not fight for his or her own way any longer. They recognize they have no rights. They put those at the foot of the cross when they submitted their will and life to Christ. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, nine. 2 Corinthians 5.9. The Apostle Paul is talking to a church just like many of ours in the United States, that's drowning in worldliness. And this is what Paul says to this church at Corinth that was struggling with all sorts of sins. And he says this, So we make it our goal to please Him, that is Christ, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
The goal, the attitude, the aim of a meek person is to please God in all situations. Whether they're here on earth, they're pleasing God, or they die there in heaven with Christ. Are we willing this morning to decrease, to be emptied, to become nothing, so Christ can actually use us for something? Do we have the same attitude of John the Baptist, who said, speaking of Christ... He must become greater. I must become less. Or listen to Paul's attitude towards his own life without Christ. This is Acts 20, 24. Don't worry about going there. He says this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only, if only I finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given Paul says his life was worthless. His life only took up space. He, his life was only worth something, he says, if he was submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do we look at our life that way, as worthless, pathetic, if we are not submitted to Christ? Our family, our marriage, our jobs, our money, our houses, our cars, our stuff, all of it is worthless if it's not submitted to Jesus Christ. We're not using it for God's glory. We're using it for our own. Snapshot number three, that's where we move to, says this, a meek person places others' interests above their own. Snapshot number three says, a meek person places others' interests above their own. Turn with me to Philippians 2, 3, and 4. That's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And I know we, this was our last series we went through, going through Philippians, so I could just probably point somebody out and they'd quote the verse to me, but we'll let you guys look it up anyway. Um, and Paul the Apostle says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. How well are we putting others above ourselves? I mean, a great way to gauge this, if you're married, how well are you putting your spouse above yourself? If you're not sure, ask them. I don't know if we want to hear what they're going to say, but you could ask them. So you may be wondering, how does that look practically to place others above ourselves? It means putting others' agendas, needs, wants above our own. That's what it means. I have a great example of this. Luke, wherever you're at, I'm sorry I'm going to use you as an example here. But our worship leader, Luke, came into work and asked me if there was anything he could do to help me out. Isn't that nice? Well, that's what he came in and asked me. And I said, thanks for asking, but no, I'm working on the message, and then tomorrow I have to run out to Fort Myers to get my car worked on. And Luke instantly says, let me go. Let me go do it. You get your message ready. I will take your car to Fort Myers to get worked on. Your time is more important than mine. That's what he said to me. Like, this guy is like an angel. So I said, no. I said, no, I'm not going to have you go out to Fort Myers to get my car worked on. It's going to be in huge extravaganza. You're going to be there for hours. And he said, that's precisely why I should go. 
then you'll have more time to get your message done. He left at 9 that next morning, got back at 3. He sacrificed this whole day for me. Luke looked out for my interest above his own. He saw a need and met it. That's what it means by putting others above ourselves. A meek person begins to see others the way God sees them. Do we have eyes like the Lord this morning? Are we more interested in others' agendas, needs, and wants? Or are we consumed with our own little lives this morning? That takes us to snapshot number four, the last one. Meekness is strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. Christ is described both as the lion and the lamb, right? You guys know your Bibles. What an oxymoron, right? They are op- they're on opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Yet Christ was both, the Word of God tells us. Christ was a lamb in the fact that he submitted wholly and fully to the Father. His will was to do the will of his Father. He did not stand up for himself. We can see this when Christ stood up before Pilate. And what happened? Of course we know, right? Christ said, 10,000 angels, come down right now, destroy Rome, take out Pilate, I'm going to be the king. Is that what happened? Okay, not really, right? Let's go to Mark 15, 3 through 5. Mark 15, 3 through 5, to see what actually did happen. And this is Mark talking. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked, aren't you going to answer? Aren't you going to answer, Jesus? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. What self-control. What perseverance. What discipline. What love for us. What love to glorify the Father. Here Christ, innocent, done nothing wrong, and he doesn't stand up for himself at all. How often do we try to plead our innocence? How often do we try to prove that we are right? It's not just you. My wife can tell you, I'm really guilty of that one. So we all struggle with things like this, right? How often are we fighting for our own ways? And yet Christ, meek and gentle, did not stand up for himself when he was facing death, facing the wrath of God. But when was Christ the lion? When was he the lion? When did Christ fight back in a sense? Or what caused Christ to respond with holy anger and rage? Well, let's look at Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Matthew 21 12 and 13. The holy 
word, the holy, infallible, perfect word says this. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. Christ wasn't worried about defending himself. But when it came to standing for his father, he became a ferocious lion. A ferocious lion. Christ was a lamb when it was about his own reputation. But when it had to do with his father being mocked, he became a lion. Is that when we become infuriated and dogmatic when Christ And God are being mocked. When false teachers are leading numerous people astray, is that when we get upset? When churches are interested in numbers and finances instead of God's glory, does it appall you and make you sick? A meek person uses his mind, his strength, his gifts, his talents for God's glory They want to be used up for God. They have the model of Christ who said, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Is that our motto this morning? Is that the family church motto? In conclusion, a meek person is submitted to God's will. They are done promoting themselves. They're tired of it. They are now about God's glory instead of their own. They are interested in other people as much as their own needs. Meekness is a cadre of different snapshots found in Scripture. I feel like in 30 minutes I can't even begin to unleash all the truths that are found when we start digging into what it means to be meek. It is a person with a zealous love for God. This person is humble, lowly. They are teachable. When the word of God is revealed to them and they're not living the way the word of God says, they change on a dime because they're humble. But it has to be because it's the word of God, not someone's advice or opinion. This person is content in life. They recognize God has them exactly where they should be. They're content. This person is strong. They're immovable in their faith. They have their passions under control. Listen to John Wesley, what he says about meekness. Meekness keeps clear of every extreme. Either or too much or too little. It does not destroy affections, but balances them. Meekness continually says, it is the Lord's will Let him see fit to do whatever he seems good. Are we meek this morning? Am I meek this morning? Are we zealous for God or for ourselves? Do we defend ourselves when we are wronged? Or are we more apt to speak out when God is being mocked? Who do we truly love? Our meekness or lack of meekness reveals if we are truly being transformed by the Holy Spirit. A mark of a true believer is one that is growing and maturing in meekness. 
May we want to be meek like our Savior this morning as he was the meekest person to ever walk the earth. So as we close, I want everybody to stand. If you all will stand, please. I will lead us in prayer. And then after that, after I'm done praying, we will head outside and celebrate those who are showing their faith in Christ through taking the step of obedience of baptism this morning. So let's go to our Lord as we go outside. Holy Father, we praise you. Oh, Father, how we struggle with with so many things, especially meekness. is such a hard thing for us to truly be. We recognize that we often are very self-focused, prideful, wanting it our way, struggling. And this is obvious. We can even see it in our marriages as we bicker and fight and argue and all the stuff that we do as married people. So, Father, we ask that you change us. Help us to put others above ourselves on a daily basis. Because of your glory, because we want to glorify you, not cater to people and be a cruise ship church, but be a church that stands on holiness because we love you so much. Father, we thank you for today. We ask that you be with those again that are being baptized. I ask that you bless everybody who came this morning. I thank you for every one of them. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. We can go outside.